0: We're walking through, um, we, we have a series called American Idols, and we're walking through certain things that it seems like in America that we're idolizing, and then what is our Christian response to that particular idol? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about tolerance. I should turn this on, it works better. Tolerance, and it uh, seemed like sometimes tolerance in the tolerant people aren't that tolerant. So we're going to talk about What does it look like? Because we live in a world where we make judgments. It's just part of the world we live in. You're you're constantly going to make judgments because you have to. And sometimes we make misjudgments. That happens too. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I heard a story about a guy. and He was the owner of a a corporation. and He hadn't been down to the manufacturing plant for a while, and so he walks in kind of surprised, and he sees this young man leaning up uh, against some crates looking at his phone. And this sends him into orbit. I mean, he's so mad that this guy's just loafing and he's not working and he's, he's aggravated. And so he kind of storms up to him and he says, Young man, how much do you get paid a week? And the young man kind of stammers. He kind of looks up. He's like, Well, about $300. And the guy pulls out his wallet and he peels off $100 bills and slaps it in his hand and he says, Here, take this and never come back. And the kid grabbed it and walked out. You know, he's a little bit shell shocked. And the manager of the plant comes over and he said, What did you just do? And the, the, the owner said, well, I, I told this kid off. How long has he been working here? And the guy said, he doesn't work here. He's waiting to get paid for the pizza. Uh, so <laughs> it's not difficult to make a, a wrong judgment. And judgments are all the time happening. I'm from Kentucky. I, um, I'm not a big horse racing fan, but this year in the Kentucky Derby, it was the first time ever, and I think it's maybe the 135th running. I, don't, I really don't know. I don't, I don't even watch it. But the, the whatever running of the derby it was, this was the first time ever that a horse was disqualified and somebody made a judgment that this horse got out of its lane. I didn't even know they had lanes. But it kind of got, got a little bit uh, uh, wide in the turn and it caused a couple other horses to check up. And so that particular judgment cost a lot of people some money. And, and gave a lot of people some money. It was kind of a big money decision. And we make judgments all the time. The, the big deal right now from what I read is that uh, the social media platforms are determining who can be on there and who can't be on there. And so if it's Twitter or if it's uh, Instagram or Facebook or whoever, they're, they're censoring some people that can and can't be on. They're telling uh, who can be on and who can't be on. somebody is making a judgment. It just, it just We live in a world where people make judgments. Now, it's impossible to avoid it, and the problem for Christians is a lot of times we're labeled as judgmental, and the problem with that is a lot of times it's true, because it's not so much that you're making a judgment, a lot of times it's how you communicate the judgment that you've made, and if you make a, a holier-than-thou proclamation of something that you've determined, then it turns people off, and that's... Uh, that's an issue for us. So, let's look at Scripture. What does the Bible say? Because here's the deal, for me and for you, if you're a follower of Jesus. Scripture's given up to us to help us know what's truth, what's true. And I believe that as we follow Christ, this should be our standard of, of right and wrong. That's not everybody's standard of right and wrong. And so we have to understand, we live in a world where not everybody's going to agree that that's the standard. But for us, it is the standard. So how do we deal with a world where it says, you're, you know, what's true for you might not be true for me and that sort of thing. And then Jesus said this one time. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And if, if you've lived very long and if you ever made a proclamation about something that you believe is true and somebody didn't agree with it, a lot of times this is the verse that's thrown back at you as kind of a proof text. Even Jesus said that you're not supposed to judge. For in the same way you judge others, it will be, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, there's a context to this verse, and also, there's... Well, let me show you a different translation. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson. He passed away recently, but he wrote a, a, a translation of the Bible called The Message. And this is how he translated it, and I like it a lot. He said, don't pick on people. Jesus said, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course... You want the same treatment? That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. Do we make judgments? Well, you're, yeah, you're going to make judgments because that's the what world we live in. You have to judge certain things. Do you have to be critical and disparaging and slandering? Well, no, you don't have to be. In fact, we're called not to be that. My very first church, I had a lady, and she um, she was on every committee. She was super involved. And we would be in committee, and she could find fault. She she has a a spiritual gift of fault finding, and she's really good at it. And every decision she would make, we would make, she would find fault. And I remember one time I just said to her, "Would you like to lead?" I I didn't mean I wasn't being snarky. It's like, "You want to lead this project?" And she said, "No, you lead, and I'll tell you where you're wrong." That's kind of so. There are people who just want to uh, point out your flaws, but look at what Jesus says about judging. I'm going to give you three verses, and there are many. But we judge. Look at what he says. Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. Well, how do you know if they're a false prophet or not? Well, you, you watch out. You, you make a judgment. And by their fruit, you'll recognize them. We're called to judge false prophets. So who is and who isn't telling the truth? Jesus said, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person. How do you determine that? Well, you have to make a judgment. Uh, Search for a worthy person there to stay at his house until you leave. And in Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. All of these things are Jesus telling us you have to make certain judgments. So, the scripture tells us that... um, One of the reasons we come to church, frankly, and one of the reasons we get together in small groups and study the Bible together is so that we can know the truth. So let me show you a couple of verses. Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul started churches. He started a church in Ephesus, and he left, and he wrote back to them, and he's explaining how life works a little bit. And he said, Christ gave to the church pastors and teachers, people like me. Their responsibility, my responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So my job is to help you understand what the Bible says and that sort of thing. And when we understand these things, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. My job is to help you, my job is to help myself become as much like Christ as possible. I do that through preaching, through teaching, And then we do it through small groups and we read our Bibles together and that sort of thing. And then he goes on. He says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. (laughs) It's a great verse. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, His body. The church. When it says every wind of doctrine, he's talking about this idea that we are to communicate biblical truth, but we're to do it in love, speak the truth in love. Because communicating biblical truth in an unloving manner is counterproductive. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help the people that we're talking to. But when it says... And this is, this is a great verse, uh, we won't be tossed by every wind of new teaching. And then a little later it says, uh, we'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Uh, the word for that today a lot of times is tolerance, uh, but it feels a lot like forced acceptance. So here's the real truth. Truth is even when you deliver truth with love, it can hurt. And Jesus said, if you hold in my teachings, you'll really be my disciples and then you'll know the truth and the truth Will set you free today is my anniversary 29 years I know I, I don't know how I put up with it I know I know yeah it's been tough on me and uh, so 29 years and last night we were going to dinner I want to show my woman you know what she means so we're heading to chick-fil-A and um, we got the salad it was delicious and anyway. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? When you're like, your first year, you, you, it's got to be romantic. Uh, at 29, it's Chick-fil-A. Yeah, so, uh, it's just kind of how it works. So, I'm on State Park Road, just up the road here a little bit. And I'm driving along, and um, I see a turtle on the side of the road about to enter the road. Um, now, if you've ever been on State Park Road, or even if you haven't, let me tell you that people go 45, 55 miles an hour. They go pretty fast on there. And turtles and roads, typically, especially busy roads, don't make a good combination. So I turned around, I came back, we parked, and I went to help the turtle. Now, um, helping turtles isn't easy, and uh, the turtle's heading for the road, and so I nudged it with my foot. It happened to be a snapping turtle. (laughs) Does anybody know what snapping turtles do when you nudge them with your feet? They snap, uh, thus the name. All right, so... um, he was. Have you seen their necks? Their necks must be tw- twenty feet long. It's like the Plastic Man. He came out around the shells. Like, I'm pretty sure that was the turtle from from hell. Uh, it was satanic. Anyway, I'm nudging it. I'm, I'm helping it. And he didn't want to go. He had his own mind about it. He was going to go in the road. And so I, Miriam, my sweet, wonderful, wise wife, said, "There's a stick. Uh, why don't you use a stick?" And so I went and got the stick, and I. I prodded him. The whole time, he's, he's rebelling. I mean, he did not like to be told what to do. Uh, you know, I don't care. He's like, I had his best interest at heart. I wanted to help him. I knew what was coming. If he got in the road, there's a pretty good chance he's not going to make it to the other side of the road. I mean, I understand. I could see it from a different perspective, right? I, I had a 30,000-foot view. This little guy was going to get squished. So I'm, I'm put, prodding him, and I'm pushing him along, and I eventually got him to go the other direction. And he went under our car and I ran over him. So anyway, uh, it's a bad story. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. No, um, that is funny though if you think about it. Anyway, um, I poked him with a stick enough till he starts walking the other way. And then we got in our car and we went, we went on to, to Chick-fil-A. Now what I don't know is if he stayed, right? And he didn't like being told the truth. I mean the truth was if he got in the road, he's likely to die. It's the truth. The truth was true. It just didn't make, it, it didn't make him happy. He, he didn't want to hear the truth. He had in his mind what he was going to do. And the truth is, for us, sometimes we try to help people. And the big idea is this. The truth might not be what we want to hear, but it is what we need to hear. And I don't know how often this happened in my life, but it's it's happened quite often. Where I've read something, or somebody said something, or I've... I've I read a book or I hear somebody in a sermon that will tell me something that's truth. It's not the truth I want to hear, but it is the truth I need to hear. That's why we, we come to church and that's why we get together and that's why we look at Scripture because the truth is here. There's a standard. People will say it's true for you, it's not true for me. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He, he just said a minute ago, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the question of what is truth isn't new In fact, two thousand years ago, there was a a a legal proceeding, a deposition that was going on, and there was this leader uh, who, kind of, this governor who was in charge, and there was a a defendant, and they had this conversation, which is like this: Pilate, who was a governor, he said, "You are the king." Then, and Jesus said, uh, answered, "You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify. What's our word? What's the word? Testify to what? Truth." Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate, I can just see it in a snarky kind of way, says, what is truth? True for you might not be true for me, but there is a standard of truth. Jesus says it's him. It's his word. Now, in America, there's a different standard. Typically, the standard of truth today is majority rules. And the problem with majority ruling is it's a a changing standard. So today we believe this, but tomorrow we believe that, and then next week we're going to believe this. And it's not constant, and it's not consistent, it's difficult. The other way we we think a lot of times in America is feelings rule. That if I feel it, then therefore it must be true. We hear it in expressions like, follow your heart, and all those kind of, I mean, those Disney movie sort of cliche things. Follow your heart. But the Bible says a heart is deceptively wicked and can be uh, led astray. And one of the first conversations that ever went on in the, in the world, Adam and Eve are in the garden and um, Satan in the form of a serpent comes up and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And this guy has not changed tactics for 2,000 years, for thousands of years. He, he still says, Did God really say? He still says that to us. And we'll read truth and we'll hear truth but he'll still, he still whispers in your ear, did God really say, turn the other cheek? Did God really say that marriage was for a man and a woman and, the, and, and that's the way it's supposed to be? Did God really say that sex is reserved for men and women inside the confines and the, and the covenant of marriage? Did God really say that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Did God really say that cleanliness is next to godliness? He didn't, by the way, but all truth is God's truth. Um, did God really say that we're to sacrifice for our faith? Did God really say these things? Because that's the question that comes up. Is it true? Is it really true? Did God really mean that? See, there is a standard of truth. Jesus gives it to us. But the question will come up, did God really say? And Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And truth always trumps our feelings there are times when I don't feel like doing the right thing and the truth is the truth. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. My, my family plays a, a card game. Um, it's called Rook. Anybody play Rook? Oh, good, yeah. Okay, so Rook, basically, um, there, are four su- there are four colors, uh, black, red, uh, green, and yellow. And you deal the cards and then you bid on, there's five in the middle, that's called the kitty, what do y'all call it, the widow, we call it different things. And you make a bid, and, and you bid, and you bid, and you bid, and whoever gets the highest bid gets those five cards, and then they get to set trumps. What's the trump going to be this hand, right, this round? And trumps are better than anything. So you can play really high cards, but if I trump you, I win. I tr- trump wins every time, and honestly, truth wins every time. Truth is just like that. Truth wins every time. Jesus said to us who are his followers... You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so, he gives us this story. If you have a Bible, let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And and it's it's a really good story, and it's, it's a story that sort of shows us how Jesus thinks, which is what we want. I mean, if I want to be like Jesus, I need to know how he does things. So, John chapter 8. Beginning verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. Now understand something, This in this particular culture that was what you did. You and I, we don't go to the temple courts, we just don't do that. That's not kind of what we do. We don't go hang out and that sort of stuff, but... In that particular era, in that society, what you would do is you would go to the city square and that's where you conducted business and that's where you hung out and it was very communal and that's what's happened here. So, all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. It is a creepy story. To be caught in adultery, can you... And then it says, the very next verse, the very next part, and they made her stand before the group. I don't know if you've ever been humiliated before in your life, if you've ever felt the sting of humiliation, but my word. How must that have felt? And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, it's just, these are... Religious people who think they're better than, who are using this woman as a prop. They don't care about her. They don't care about her situation. She's a means to an end. They're trying to catch Jesus. They said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for arresting him. See, here's what we need to understand about truth from a Christian perspective. Motives matter. The reason they brought her in front of these guys was that it matters. It's interesting to me that Jesus had difficult and harsh conversations only with religious people who thought they were better than other people. The only people Jesus ever really argued with were religious people who thought they were better than. They didn't have a heart of compassion. In fact, these, were, these guys would say, well, rules are more important than people. Now, the law strictly would have stated that if they were caught in adultery, the man and the woman should have been brought, both of them should have been brought in front of of the judge. Jesus was serving as a judge in this case because he was a priest. Uh, they, would have brought, they would have brought both of them. In this case, they didn't bring both of them. They only brought her. And in, legally, the process would be that they would bring both in front, and then there would be at least two witnesses. You had to have at least two witnesses. There was a procedure. There's protocol. There's a way that this is supposed to be done. And it wasn't done the way it was supposed to be done. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus knelt down and he wrote in the sand. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but if you were the priest in this sort of situation or any, any conflict was brought in front of you, what you would do is you would kneel down and you would write in the dust the law that had been broken and the people that had broken it, supposedly or allegedly broken it. And so Jesus would have bent down to write out the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I suspect he probably wrote the law about, hey, you got to have more than one witness, and you should bring both of them. And as Jesus wrote the law, he was basically saying to them, you're not telling the truth, the whole truth. There, there's more to this than just this woman. They weren't keeping the law either. I, I mean, when I get really annoyed, I, I don't know, if it, are you like this? It's really easy for me to see sin in somebody else and not myself. Are you like that? Because I'm like that. I mean, I'll give you a stupid little example, but it's true. If I'm driving and somebody doesn't use their turning signal, they're a jerk. If I'm driving and I don't use my turning signal, I made a mistake. Not the same. Because I know inwardly I'm not a jerk just because I forgot. Now, I do this. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. It's like, okay, I can see your fault, law, and I see you as flawed. When I have a flaw myself, I don't see me as flawed. I just see me as having made a mistake. And so Jesus says something. He says, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And it causes them to think. Understand something. None of us in this room are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're we're, this side of heaven not going to be perfect. But That doesn't mean we can't make judgments on certain things. It does mean that we need to self-evaluate. What's my motive for saying something? See, a lot of times my motive for saying something is I'm annoyed. That's not a godly motive. That's a selfish motive. In fact, look at what Jesus, he taught this same thing, kind of same thing. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It doesn't say ignore the speck in your brother's eye. It just says, examine yourself first. What is your motive? I'm going to say something to you because you've embarrassed me. I'm going to say something to you because I don't, uh, you make me uncomfortable. Th- those aren't good motives. I'm going to say something to you because I love you. That's a good motive. I'm going to say something to you because I feel like God wants me to. Good motive. Not every motive is right, and motives matter. And and here's a teaching that's found throughout Scripture. Pride goes before destruction. And those men, they had a motive for bringing this woman caught in adultery in front of Jesus. And the motive was they wanted to catch Jesus. It wasn't love for her, it wasn't love for the law, it wasn't love for God. It was a motive, was we'd like to catch Jesus doing something wrong. It's a selfish motive. Motives matter. The second thing we've got to understand is people matter. This is a setup. It is a creepy little story because how did they catch her in adultery? See, my mind goes to okay, they peeked in the window or they were hiding in the first place. And there's a, a moral law, a, a moral responsibility that if I know you're going to do something wrong, I have a responsibility to stop you. If you're about to get in your car and you've had too much to drink and you're going to drive home, I'm morally responsible to stop you. I've got a responsibility. It's my responsibility. If you're going to cheat on your husband with somebody else, I've got a moral responsibility to at least tell you the truth. They had, a, they had a responsibility. In fact, in law, law here in America is if you knew somebody was going to commit a crime and you didn't say something, you're as guilty as they are. But it's not just law. It's, it's a moral responsibility. And here's something that we've got to get our minds around, and that is every sinner, including me, including you, every sinner is someone Jesus loves. Every one of us. The people that annoy you, the people that live in a way that you find reprehensible, people who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who don't talk like you, every person that breathes breath in this world is someone Jesus loves and our responsibility our job is to help people from a heart of compassion not hurt people from a heart of conceit it's not that I'm better than you I'm just trying to help you I'm not better I just I've been there and now I'm not there and God loves you and I want to love you too Look at what happens next. Again, second time, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, to get this completely, let me tell you something. The Jewish people, every year, had some, they, they celebrate something called Yom Kippur. That is the Day of Atonement. That's when... They have a priest, a high priest, who offers sacrifice for the sins of all the nation. One time a year, Yom Kippur, uh, Day of Atonement. Okay, Now, this was a day-long procedure. There's a a process to this. And the priest, during this series of things he has to do, and he would sprinkle blood and he would uh, offer animal sacrifices. There are a lot of little different things, but between every one of these things that he would do, he would be immersed in water, there's a, a Jewish word, a mikvah, a mikvah, I'd love to say it. Say it with me, mikvah, okay. okay, good. Um, the mikvah, and he would be immersed in this, he would be baptized basically 11 times once in between every one of the things he had to do. And at the end of the process, so this was a long, drawn-out process, and by the end of the day, he was kind of pruny, I would think, because he'd been in so much water. And, and at the end of the day, he would go to his house, and he would come out of his house, and the people would all be around, and, and he would quote a verse. And it was this verse, Jeremiah 17. O Lord, you're the hope of Israel, for all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be, look at this, will be written... In the dust, because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. The first time Jesus knelt to write in the dust, he wrote the charges. This is the charge. These are the people who are charged. In this case, this is the woman who is charged. The second time I believe, and we don't know this for certain, but I'm almost certain this is what happened. Jesus would have knelt on the the ground and he would have written this verse. Now, something odd about this, always kind of struck me as odd. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this those who heard began to go away. Well, he's writing in the dirt. How are they hearing it? I think it's one of two things. Maybe Jesus is writing the verse out and saying it at the same time. Maybe he's he's writing and verbalizing, and they're hearing it. Or maybe he's writing the verse out, and I think that's probably the case. I think he's writing it and they're hearing it and he's saying it at the same time. But some have, have speculated, perhaps he's writing it down and they're just thinking, and God is speaking to their spirits. It could be either one. But let's go back to it just for a second. O oh Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame, and those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. And every one of those men who had a rock in his hand would have heard that verse. And the older you are, the more times you would have heard it. You would have heard this verse because they would hear it every year. And the chief priests would quote it every year. And they probably all had it memorized because they'd heard it so often. And the older men, starting with the older men, dropped their rocks and walked away. It says it. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. See, Jesus was giving them a chance. The first time he was pointing out, they're lawbreakers too. The second time he was pointing out, the hope of Israel is here. Jesus was saying, I'm the hope of Israel, I'm here. And, And if you don't change your heart, it will be like me writing your name in the dust. Because here's what I know about Jesus. He loves everybody. He was giving him a chance. And people matter to him. Even judgmental religious people matter to Jesus. Motives matter and people matter. But let's get to this. Because we can't quit. The truth matters too. Look at these verses. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? And we look at that and we read that in American, American context. We think, well, woman is kind of harsh. And I don't know, but how many of you have watched the movie Rocky Three? Oh, my word. Oh, so unsophisticated. Okay, Rocky Three. There's Rocky I, the next movie, two. No, two wasn't Clubber Lang. Oh, see, come on. One was Apollo, two was Apollo Rematch. Three was Clubber Lang, who's Mr. T, right? Um, I painted a fool. Y'all know Mr. T, right? Everybody, does even, do you know Mr. T? Okay, okay. In Rocky's three, I should have had the video clip. Really, I can't do it justice. Rocky is giving a speech. Uh, Yo, Adrian, I'm, i think I'm going to retire. That's the best. That's the best I can do. And Adrian, his wife, is right next to him, and Rocky's got a fur coat on. And Mr. T. Clubber Lang is in the audience, and he says, "Give me a chance, you know, give me a fight." And then he and then he addresses Adrian, Rocky's wife, and he says, "Woman, woman." And every time I read this, I think of Jesus saying, "Woman," and that's not how he did it. I got I got to flush that because it's really not right. So he doesn't say it like, "Woman." From the cross, Jesus is on the cross, he's hanging on the cross, he's dying, right? And he says to his mother, woman, John's going to take care of you. Woman, behold your son, John, behold your mother. He was taking care of, you talk about, you know Jesus was southern because he's taking care of his mama on the cross, right? He's taking care of his mama, and, and he referred to her as woman. It wasn't a, a, a term of derision, it was respect and love and, re- and mostly respect and so here when Jesus says to her woman he is giving her respect see the other people saw her as a adulterer fornicator what, whatever word you want to use they all saw her as something else J- Jesus th- this is not a term of of endearment and he does it privately. I think it's really important that everybody had gone and then Jesus has this conversation with her. Uh, they're all gone. He says, uh, where are they? Has no one condemned you? There's a principle here that typically these conversations are best had privately. There's, if you read Matthew 18, there's this. Jesus spells out, if you have a conflict with somebody, go to them personally first, one-on-one. You don't tweet about it. You don't Facebook post about it. You go to them one-on-one. This is typically the best way to handle it. He gives her respect. Because everybody needs respect. This woman was grossly disrespected. I, I don't know what stage of dress she was in when they brought her before the crowd. And it says they made her stand there. It is possible... She stood there undressed. When you're caught in the act of adultery, that is possible. The one thing she hadn't gotten from religious people was respect. The first thing she got from Jesus was respect. And then he says... Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. He gives her respect and then he gives her forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I need both. I need respect and I sure need forgiveness. But then he judges. And he says, Go now and leave your life of sin. I respect you and I forgive you, but let me challenge you. There's something better out there. You don't have to live like that. There is truth. You can live by the truth. Now, he doesn't know. There's no further documentation of what happens. That, that's the end of the story, as far as we know, in John 8. Here's what I know about me. When Jesus saved my life, it changed the way I think about how I live. When Jesus saved me from my sins, whatever He asks me to do, I want to be able to do. I want, I want to give Him that. I want to give Him everything. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. There are things I want to do that I don't do because Jesus doesn't want me to do them. There are things I don't want to do that I do because Jesus wants me to do them. Here's a truth that we have to understand. People need respect, forgiveness, and they want relationship. And I think they want relationship with God, and Jesus offers it. But the challenge to her was go now and leave your life of sin. Do it now and do it different. Change. Because ultimately we all face judgment. If I'm a follower of Christ, I don't face judgment for for where I'm going to spend eternity. I face judgment for the life that I've lived. In Acts it says, for God... Has set a day for judging the world with justice. It's going to be right. It's going to be truth. It's going to be true. It's not going to be based on feelings. It's not going to be based on majority. It's going to be based on truth. The world, he's going to judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We have a truth that we shouldn't be ashamed of. It's not to be beaten over anybody's head. It's just the truth, and we're going to live by truth. We're going to live by truth. That's the challenge, Jesus. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and live a life of truth, because the truth will set you free. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for wisdom that you give us through your word. And We thank you for challenging us to live by your word to deny ourselves and to do what you've called us to do to live beyond us I thank you for how you love us and how you care for us and that you love even those of us who sometimes come off as haughty and holier than thou help us father to be people who speak truth but to speak it in love we pray it humbly in Jesus name